0: Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about the Intensive Care Unit. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash ICU or in the Anesthetics and ICU section of the Zero to Finals Surgery book. So let's get straight into it. The High Dependency Unit or HDU and the Intensive Care Unit, ICU, are specialised hospital wards that manage severely unwell patients. In general, Level 1 patients are managed on a general acute ward, Level 2 patients are managed on the High Dependency Unit or HDU and Level 3 patients are managed on the Intensive Care Unit or ICU, which is the highest level of support. ICUs are run by Intensive Care Specialists and specialist intensive care nurses. Each nurse only cares for one or two patients at a time. Patients admitted to the unit usually have some form of organ failure requiring organ support and intensive monitoring. Common reasons that patients are admitted to the intensive care unit are following major surgery, for example an aortic aneurysm repair, severe sepsis, major trauma following cardiopulmonary resuscitation or CPR and for organ failure, for example acute respiratory, renal or liver failure. In the intensive care unit patients can have advanced organ support and this includes respiratory support, cardiovascular support, renal support, nutritional support, neurological support, dermatological support and liver support. Let's talk about admission, whether to admit someone to the intensive care unit is the decision of the intensive care specialist. The capacity of intensive care units is often low and the impact of intensive therapy on patients is very high. This means that careful thought and consideration needs to be put into deciding whether a patient will benefit from admission. The two main factors that are considered are the potential to reverse the acute condition, and the baseline physiological reserve, so their baseline health. For example, in a patient with a 90% probability of dying from their current illness and an underlying terminal condition, it doesn't make sense to admit them for extensive, invasive interventions. A palliative care approach on a general ward or at home would be much more appropriate. There are scoring systems that can be used to help predict mortality at the time of admission to ICU. These include the Apache score, which stands for Acute Physiology and Chronic Health Evaluation, the SAPS score, which stands for Simplified Acute Physiology Score, and the MPM, or Mortality Prediction Model. Let's talk about nutritional support. Nutrition is really important in critically ill patients. They are in a hypermetabolic state and have increased nutritional requirements. There is a high risk of malnutrition in acutely unwell patients, which can contribute to worse outcomes. Dietitians are involved in helping ensure patients meet their nutritional requirements. Where possible, patients should get their nutrition via their gastrointestinal tract. Having nutrition via the GI tract is called enteral nutrition. And this could be by mouth, nasogastric or NG tube or percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy or PEG which is a tube from the surface of the abdomen into the stomach. Total parenteral nutrition or TPN involves meeting the complete nutritional requirements of the patient using an intravenous infusion of a solution of carbohydrates, fats, proteins, vitamins and minerals. This is used where it's not possible to use the gastrointestinal tract for nutrition. Total parental nutrition is prescribed under the guidance of a dietitian. It's very irritant to veins and it can cause thrombophlebitis so it's normally given through a central line rather than a peripheral cannula. Let's go through the complications of admission and treatment in the intensive care unit. There are various complications and we're going to talk about each of these in more detail and these include ventilator-associated lung injury, ventilator-associated pneumonia, catheter-related bloodstream infections, for example from a central venous catheter, catheter catheter-associated urinary tract infections from a urinary catheter, stress-related mucosal disease where there's erosion of the upper gastrointestinal tract, Delirium, venous thromboembolism, critical illness myopathy, and critical illness neuropathy. Ventilator associated lung injury is a common complication of mechanical ventilation. Forcefully blowing air into the lungs during mechanical ventilation can cause volume trauma, which is damage from over inflating the alveoli, barotrauma, which is damage from pressure changes and inflammation. It can lead to short-term pulmonary edema and hypoxia or low oxygen. Long-term it can lead to fibrosis of the lung tissue, reduced lung function, recurrent infections and core pulmonary. Using optimal settings and pressures during mechanical ventilation helps reduce the risk of lung injury. Ventilator-associated pneumonia is a common complication of mechanical ventilation occurring in up to 25% of patients on mechanical ventilation and it carries a high risk of death, up to 25%. Being ventilated increases the risk of bacteria being aspirated into the lungs. Positioning the bed at a 30 degree angle with the patient's head elevated reduces the risk of aspirating secretions from the stomach. Good oral care with regular mouth cleaning is also important to reduce the risk. Catheter related bloodstream infections can be introduced by invasive lines such as central venous catheters. These are also common up to 25% and they also carry a high risk of death again up to 25%. The risk may be reduced by using antibiotic impregnated or silver impregnated catheters and keeping them in for the shortest time possible. Catheter-associated urinary tract infections are also common. The risk can be reduced by only using urinary catheters when necessary and keeping them in for the shortest time possible. Stress-related mucosal disease is common in critically unwell patients. Damage to the stomach mucosa occurs mainly due to impaired blood flow. It increases the risk of upper gastrointestinal bleeding, which can be life-threatening. The risk may be reduced by suppressing acid secretion in the stomach using proton pump inhibitors, for example, omeprazole, or H2 receptor antagonists like ranitidine. Starting nasogastric or NG feeding early in patients that cannot eat normally has a protective effect, even if only small volumes are used. Trophic feeds are small volumes that are used for gastrointestinal benefits but are insufficient to meet nutritional requirements. Delirium or an impaired mental state is also a very common complication of both critical illness and intensive care therapy. A long list of things can cause acute confusion including pain, infection, hypoxia, electrolyte disturbances, renal failure and medications. Usually patients in ICU will have many of these occurring at the same time. The Confusion Assessment Method or CAM can be used as a scoring system for identifying delirium. Dexmedetomidine is a medication used in the intensive care unit to sedate agitated patients. Venous thromboembolism or VTE includes deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. Critically all patients are at a higher risk of venous thromboembolism. Every patient will have a risk assessment to determine whether they require VTE prophylaxis. The main measures to prevent venous thromboembolism are low molecular weight heparin, for example anoxaparin, and intermittent pneumatic compression devices such as flotrons that regularly inflate to squeeze the legs and promote blood flow. Critical illness myopathy refers to muscle wasting and weakness during critical illness and treatment on the intensive care unit. The weakness mostly affects the legs and the respiratory muscles. The use of corticosteroids or muscle relaxants is an important cause of critical illness myopathy. Short term it can lead to difficulty weaning patients off mechanical ventilation. Long term it can result in reduced exercise capacity and reduced quality of life and it can take years to recover. Critical illness polyneuropathy refers to degeneration of the sensory and the motor nerve axons during critical illness and treatment in the intensive care unit. It often occurs alongside critical illness myopathy. There is a wide range of pathological processes that result in degeneration of the nerves. Having optimal control of blood sugar levels or optimal glycemic control is important in reducing the risk. It causes symmetrical weakness, decreased muscle tone and reduced reflexes. It often makes it difficult to wean patients off mechanical ventilation. So thanks for listening to this episode about the intensive care unit. As always a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing all of these podcasts And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about arterial blood gases.